Welcome to the Something Something Experience podcast, episode 17. My name is Ash Jones. My co-caster, Michael Jones Simpson, and I started this podcast to give voice to our passions. Our guests this week are cosplayers, artists, and designers, Brian Davis and Elisa Rosales. Brian and Elisa are a super creative couple who collaborate on costumes to attend cosplay events around Los Angeles, like Labyrinth of Jareth and Myth Mask. We spoke to them about cosplay, Wasteland Weekend, Monica Bellucci, Growing Up Bored, Media Reboots, Monster Movies, The Hobbit, Kara Fukunaga, Chris Carter, The Creative Process Behind Special Effects, Jurassic Park, Scary Clowns, Ray Harryhausen, Ryan Murphy, Video and Music Stores, Star Wars, Comic Book Movies, CG vs. Practical Effects, Changes in the Music Industry, and Serial Killer Stories. So, without further ado, here's episode 17 of the Something Something Experience. That's alright, we're not fancy. You're all slurping, we're like... <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, <clears throat> all right, guys. Well, happy Sunday, everybody. Good, good uh, to see you. Introduce yourselves, Brian. And Alyssa. Hi, I'm Brian Davis. I'm Alyssa Rosales, and we do costuming and art, and I do cakes. I decorate cakes. Go ahead and scoot on in a little bit there. There you go. Yes, you did our wedding cake. It was yes. lovely. Oh my gosh, I I'll have to put a picture that. of that up on the up on the podcast. But, yes, please. But do. Uh, yeah, I mean, we when we're done here, we'll get links to everything of your online works so mm-hmm. people can see yeah. it and yeah, stuff. Totally. So, so you yeah, you do a little bit of everything. You've got the you do artwork and, and painting, and I know you're really into horses. And you um, do you do anything professionally in that arena, or is that just kind of a passion more? Not really. I just do that all for fun. Um, I do accounting for a nonprofit for animals during the day because that's kind of oh, my yeah. biggest passion. Sure, so sure, sure. Everything else is kind of on the side, but um, I think I like doing costumes the best right now. Yeah, cool, cool. Yeah, I think it's one of those things. One of the main points that I probably would make is like, and I do like visual effects for movies for my main job job. But I got into all the costuming and prop making and all that kind of stuff basically because everything you do professionally for art is always at the direction of someone else. A director or an sure, art director, sure. of, you know, is going to direct what they want from you. And so at some point, that some point that gets to be frustrating where you're like, I want to just make something for myself with my own creativity. So then you start dabbling in other kinds of creative hobbies. In order, in order to get fulfilled, you have to sort of like have your own hobbies and stuff like that. So how, when did you guys actually start doing this? Um, Seriously? You know, I mean, I, I've always dabbled in sort of side creative projects ever since maybe I mean since I was a kid but also like even in early adulthood like sort of messing with cars and different kind of things where you want to just put your little twist on it like uh, you know do a different body kit on this car paint it a weird color just to stand out or do something interesting so you, know? you, you you're a maker you're, you're, you're yeah. definitely a maker yeah 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 for sure so when did you when did you come up with well let me, let me start this thing how long have you guys been together for almost eight years. Oh, that's excellent. Oh. That's excellent. <laughs> so, and, and. <laughs> I'm like, oh, crap. They're getting all big. Seven getting... and a half. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you guys have surpassed the itch phase, so that's good. So, so um, but, uh, so, but you guys were both doing creative, artsy type stuff before you met, I'm sure. So. Yeah, I was doing painting. I started getting into cake decorating. I was taking classes at Michael's. Yeah, <laughs> and then I was getting into sewing a little bit, but then he introduced me to costumes because I had never done any costumes until I met him, and then I realized I'm really good at this. He just wanted it's you for your, Michael, you for your hot Michael's discount, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my forty percent off coupon. Yeah, baby, yeah. I need some beads, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, 
<sighs> I lost my next question. Um, so, so you started doing that, and so the costume. When was the first uh, cosplaying you guys started doing together? Hmm. I think when he took me to the Labyrinth of Jareth, and that was probably one of the first costumes I started to make. Yeah, I think you started doing stuff kind of independently on your own. Like I, like I go to a lot of costume events, like sure. Labyrinth of Jareth and all those kind of things, sure. or Myth Mask, and so. Basically, like that's sort of on my schedule every year that I'm going to be doing these various events. So I'm, Wasteland Weekend, that's yeah, another exactly one. Yeah, exactly, Wasteland Weekend. Because that one's good. It combines kind of costuming and uh, cosplay and technology. Yeah, and, there's a lot of stuff going on with fire that. and blood and oh, know, yeah, all yeah. kinds of... Yeah, there's awesome cars out there. It's, naked it's really, women running around. <laughs> exactly. And, no, nothing wrong with that. <laughs> no, not at all. It's an awesome event, for so, sure, for cool. sure. Cool. Yeah, it's called Burning Man Without the Hippies. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah kind of a hardcore Mad Max meets Burning yeah. Man kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And probably what drew me to that, I mean, in addition to being a fan of those films, it was like, it was just like, it was a brand new event with like new concepts, you know, like a lot of these other events have been around for quite a while, and so it was like kind of an open palette of like, you can do any kind of post-apocalyptic costume or car or whatever you wanted, and so everyone was jumping into it in the first couple of years, just really going... Speaking of, of Matt Max, have you seen the new trailer? I have, yeah. I love I, the the thing that I've always loved about that series is definitely the costumes, mm-hmm. and and it's the same director again doing this yeah. new remake, and the costumes. He seems to have upped the ante on that. Mm-hmm. Man. What was yeah, the name of the uh, the costume? Do you know the name? It's like Norma, I'm not sure. Norma something. Mm-hmm. She kind of coined the whole yeah, like yeah. kind of like a football player in the post apocalypse yes, yes, thing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, the mohawk with the with the shoulder pads and mm-hmm. yeah, that's pretty cool. It looks insane. Yeah, yeah. really good. So when did I? I know you kind of have this um, cosplay character that takes many forms. The Death Knight. Uh, yeah, that's a sort of became my little nickname, just basically because I all my costumes I try to do unique original costumes for the most part because I just want to throw my creative spin on it. It's actually pretty difficult like i give credit for all the people who do cosplay and reproduction costumes because it's it's actually very difficult to accurately and perfectly recreate a costume someone else has already made yeah so you know props to them for doing that but there's just something in in me that wants to just create something original so for most of the stuff i try to create something original so i created something pretty much original but based on the concept of like a death knight from dungeons and dragons because when Mm -hmm. i was younger i played dungeons and dragons as a kid sure teenager and all this kind of stuff so i thought you know what would that look like or what would a death knight look like and i created this costume and started wearing it to renaissance fairs and things like that and people kept asking who are you are you sauron are you this are you that and i'm like uh like i didn't have an answer so i was like i'm a death knight and so then my friends started calling, hey, it's the Death Knight, hey, it's the Death Knight. And so pretty soon I just ended up with that as my kind of nickname. Right. So that's... I mean, there's a whole segment of our people, of our, our people. Huh? <laughs> It'd be totally the song of my people. There's a whole segment of our friends who call you TDK. Yeah. yeah exactly. I've always, and I was introduced to you as that. Yeah, so. exactly. Well, that, that ended up from like message boards and things like sure, that where you sure. come up with an alias or a name, nickname yeah. for yourself. And so TDK cool. or the Death Knight just ended up being my so, thing. So how did you two meet? Uh, we met at a costumed event at Malediction. We were basically, it was like one of their Asian-themed nights. I created some crazy, like, big trouble in Little China giant <laughs> hat thing nice. with, like, crazy cool. face makeup. And she's like, oh, you seem really cool online, but I have no idea what you look I like. Know, and contacts. I couldn't even tell what he looks like at all. And I was just me, because I wasn't into costumes at that point. But, right. yeah, so that's where Aren't I Aren't I sexy it. in my crazy outfit? <laughs> Excuse me, uh, let me take out my contacts so I can look at you. Let I think the look. next week we went on a regular movie date, though. Yes. So. Let me yeah. look Dinner upon you with my own. <laughs> what movie do you guys watch? 
What was it? Was it? I don't. Monica Bellucci was in it. Ooh, good choice. It was uh, an action movie. Just a typical shoot 'em up. Yeah, kinda. I couldn't even tell you. I wanted right. to say two guns, but that wasn't it. Hey, what do you think more. about her being the new uh, Bond lady? Oh, she is. Yeah, wow. is she the Bond girl. She's the Bond lady. Well, I'm I'm kind of drifting away from the term Bond girl because ah. she's fifty. Not yeah. not really a girl. Really she's more. Gorgeous, oh, so she's amazing. So she's going to play the love interest. I believe so. Either she's got. Well, we nobody really knows for sure. There's two women that they introduced at the at the Spectre event. Mm-hmm. Monica Bellucci is one, and I'm not familiar with the other actress, but uh, who's younger. But they they've got somebody in there who's actually older than Jan- the actor playing James Bond. Yeah. So that's I think that's pretty cool. That's but interesting. I think Monica Bellucci is one of the most beautiful women on the screen in the world. I think she's she's just exquisite. And and um, I've been a fan of hers since probably Bram Stoker's Dracula for for very <laughs> lizard brain reasons. I but why. Um, well, two reasons really. But. Um, <laughs> So. Well, I liked her. I liked her when I saw her in Brothers Grimm. Do yes, you remember yeah. that? She's, she's, she's outstanding. She, yeah. that, that movie's movie. underrated, man. I really I love know, that movie. I know, it's so good. Yeah. Cool. Kids need to know that fairy tales are not that happy. No. <laughs> so, Alyssa, you do accounting and, and artwork and, and uh, costuming, etc. Brian, what do you do for a living? Yeah, I do visual effects for films, and uh, I've been doing that for quite a long time. I work for Fox and Sony Pictures and several other major studios. So, cool. I'm just a lot of different stuff. And as I said, I mean, it's all really cool work, and I'm really happy to be doing that work, but at the same time, I like to dabble in other personal projects. Sure, as well, sure, you know? sure. I mean, uh, based on a lot of the stuff that in your house that you've made by hand, I mean, you it looks like you might also be able to have a side career of doing like maquettes or something or, you know, that sort of you know, thing. You know, and that's one of the things I was going to mention is the fact that doing something for a living, like for a job, because there's so many people out there. I mean, I have all these different friends on Facebook that you follow and see that they're striving really, really hard to become comic book artists or, you know, whatever it might be. They're working really hard to sort of make it into a career doing something artistic. And from my experience is that once you start doing something for a career, it's very hard to go do any of that stuff off the clock. That when you spend 8, 10, 12 hours a day doing something artistic for your job, mm-hmm. and then you come home in the evening, you're like, I'm not super inspired you're to go spent. in the garage and work on right. build, building I, I, something. I can relate directly. I mean, I, 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 um, I've, I've, I've tried artistic, artistic, artistic pursuits, although I'm an engineer right now. Mm-hmm. But yeah, when I get home, I have all these ideas throughout the day of what I want to do, like engineering projects. Mm-hmm. I get home and I never do them because I'm yeah. spent. You know, it's like mm-hmm. eight hours a day, forty hours a week. In our case, we work more than forty hours a week. Mm-hmm. Right, it's crazy to yeah. Uh, yeah. maintain that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I started the podcast mm-hmm. to to kind of jumpstart myself back into the creative world. Yeah. Um. You know, I've said before, and and this is kind of starting to light a fire, and and I'm I'm, I'm gearing myself, pushing myself past the fear wall to try and start doing voiceover work and the other yeah. things that I really would rather be doing than than, you know, sitting at a computer all you know, for eight, ten, twelve hours a day. So yeah. Exactly. That's cool. And I think it's perfect for you because you're so outgoing. You're like I the talk, life of the I'm party. Ever since, ever since I was a, there was one when I, oh, here's a little backstory for me. When I was a little kid, when I started kindergarten, my mom would ask me a question every day when I came home from school. And that question was 
uh, did the teacher have to say, Michael, you're interrupting. (laughs) 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 And, uh, yeah, sometimes it was yes. (laughs) Um... So did you get talks too much on your report cards then? Yeah, talks a lot. Yeah, talks a lot. Won't shut the fuck up. (laughs) I had the... I did not apply myself enough in school because I just wasn't interested in anything. I just wanted to paint and do all my own thing. So... Yeah. I was just... I was a a daydreamer. I would just sit and just kind of... La-di-da-di-da-di-da. And people wanted to... uh, It was funny. They always wanted to ascribe it to some emotional trouble. Like, because my parents were divorced, or, you know, they would send me to talk to the school counselor once a, once a week, and I would talk into a, into a tape recorder, hmm, wow. and I, or <laughs> make up stories, or draw, or something like that, and I wasn't really bothered, I was just bored, <laughs> really, yeah, is yeah. what it was, yeah. it was bored, and then they tried to say I was ADD, and they put me on Ritalin, and that didn't really do much, and then I got, I actually got... I was diagnosed without the actual physical tests, and then I went through the physical tests, and they went, "No, he's not. Doesn't have ADD. He just can you believe I still get cold? I still I still get cold ADD. It's ridiculous. It's cold imagination. Yeah, it's called (laughs) you're just in your own head, and it's Mm -hmm. not you know. So yeah. But uh, okay, so we covered uh, costuming and other things. So, so what what kind of stuff? Uh, oh, you have a question. Go ahead. Oh yeah, no, I want I wanted to ask. I I, I was over at DreamWorks uh, mm-hmm. a few months ago because I went to a meetup, uh, like an engineering meetup uh, for IT people, and they showed us a clip of Rocky and Bowwinkle that only we got to see, and it was really cool. I liked it. Yeah, it was three D. I think they were sort of like you know. Like focus grouping it, you know, seeing how we reacted to the 3D Rocky Mobile. But it was it was really cool for like old characters like that, uh, revamping it in 3D it didn't feel old at all. And I just started thinking, I saw um, that they're making a Popeye movie, hmm. mm-hmm. an 3D. animated Popeye movie. Yeah. Oh, cool. And I think Peanuts as well. Peanuts right? as well. So oh, there's like this movement. They're 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 gearing towards you know like they're bringing back old bringing properties back old again. Stuff. Yeah. Well, see, that's one of those things that's been present in the movie industry. Over the last, I don't know, five to ten years, probably even, <clears throat> I don't know the exact time frame, but the whole sort of rebooting, digging up old properties. And it's always a question for me is sometimes that's a great idea and sometimes it's not. And it, to me, it's almost like there's obviously a new generation that hasn't seen some of these films. Like there's kids and teenagers and 20-somethings perhaps that have never seen certain things that we may have seen as kids. So you're reintroducing something that, that might be really, really cool, but at the same time, you know you got to think, like, is it cool? And one of the great examples I always use is Transformers. Mm, mm, it's yeah. one of those films where yeah. it was cool as a kid, and you reboot it now, and, and it was very successful. But I don't believe it's successful specifically because it's Transformers. I think it's successful because it's giant, awesome it's Mike, robots. It's Michael Bay. Yeah, it's this yeah. huge spectacle of awesomeness, spe- so yeah. people are going to watch that. That's the, sort, that's the source of the problem, too, that it's Michael Bay directing it. You know, thankfully he stepped down. He's not going to direct the fifth one mm-hmm. because oh, there is another be one. one. There is another one. I didn't even as see, long as, as, long as they make money. See, right? I, I think I stopped halfway through two and never saw three or four. Mm-hmm. And the first one was fun mm-hmm. and and it was cool, but it was you know. And then the second one and it was just kind of like and it just. And well, here's know. the thing: I'm not a huge fan personally of those films, but. I always try to keep the the business side in there, which is that if it makes a lot of money, sure. a lot of people liked it. A you lot of people wanted to see it, so they're going to keep making them. That's, and that's the movie. It's is. entertaining for someone. You know, I might like some really dark, creepy, weird David Lynch film, but that's me. 
you know, but that's not everybody, so it's like... Twin you know. Peaks coming back 2016! <laughs> <laughs> the world would be better if the tables were flipped and more people liked weird stuff. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I, felt, I thought the third one was almost like an exercise in, you know... How to not go mad watching a movie? Like I felt like Alex and Clockwork Orange is like watching that film. <laughs> it was like like a yeah. I was wondering when Crazy. I arrived at the movie theater why they put me in a straitjacket and pried my eyes open. At least there was the girl with the eyebrow. <laughs> yeah, I really think with reboots and things like that, the, the key is to recreate some you know using that concept, create some new movie that's sure. completely just it's an awesome movie on its own, utilizing that concept, but just. You know, you really have to rethink it completely and do some new version of that, you know, using right. the core concept. But right. you can't just completely just redo the old stuff and put it out there and hope that just because it's got the name, it's going to be successful. You yeah, know? yeah. Well, there's it's, certain movies, certain of the old movies. The problem is, and it's always been this way, is that young, young, the young generation who go to the movies and spend money are not going to go back and watch the old stuff. Mm-hmm. And for us... A lot of the people that we knew, like some of us, would 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 watch old old black and white films and old things from the thirties, forties, and blah blah blah. We loved all that stuff because we were there was a, I don't know there was, there was a dividing line in in the kind of Gen X generation. There was a dividing line of the people who were into the old stuff and the people who weren't. The people who were very much into it's the eighties, everything else is old, and we're moving on. Mm-hmm. Versus the people who were like, no, the stuff my parents liked was cool. The music and the movies and the stuff my grandparents liked was cool. Well, actually, I'm 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 not a Gen Xer, but I I actually sure. liked a lot of black and white stuff. Sure, 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 sure. <laughs> but it was because my grandparents. Uh, I spent a lot of time with them, and they loved watching all those old shows, right? Uh, and and old movies and like capers and stuff like that. So I grew up watching black and white stuff, and I yeah. thought it was normal. Yeah. See, but one of the interesting <clears throat> things about that is that there was various black and white older horror movies and things like that that I had not seen mm-hmm. that I would pull up on Netflix to watch them, and I actually found them quite boring because the pacing of them and the structure sure, of sure, them. Sure. Is pretty boring, but then like a good example of that was the Wolfman movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, it's Long like it's a, it's a lot of slow kind of plodding along kind of things, not moving very fast, and then oh, at the end, wow, you see the Wolfman, and that's kind of cool. And a lot of those movies are structured that way, where it's like eighty percent of the movie is just build up to this last twenty percent, this big you know special effects, you know, monster spectacular at the last you know fifteen minutes oh, or right. whatever. You know, right. because they didn't have the money and the oh yeah, the stru- like, well they didn't have the technology. It was <laughs> yeah. not, not, not as much a matter of money. It's like if you wanted to transform a guy into a werewolf, you had to strap him, weight him down to a chair, yeah. and put a brace on his neck so he couldn't move. Mm-hmm. Wait the camera and then apply individual strands of hair to his face over the period of several hours. Yeah, I mean that's. That was the, what they yeah. had to do back then. Yeah. And they weren't going to subject a lot of actors to that. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, Lon Chaney was happy to do that. Oh, Lon Chaney was <laughs> un- unbelievably good. Yeah. But there was the, the whole thing with the segment of the of, of our generation that, that, that enjoyed that stuff, we were kind of the minority. We were the nerds. We were the ones who went back and saw the old stuff and liked it. And like I said, it was some of the older black and white stuff you didn't watch as much because of the pacing and well, just like the said, way they made movies. The back. core thing for me is that you're trying to find, like you talk about reboots, you're trying to find what's the cool concept. About what was cool about this movie? I mean, maybe the pacing isn't the best but what was the cool concept which is what I like about like even the the Wolfman redo they did was like you you had this concept of this guy going through this thing and had the gypsies and all the different things all the different elements were there but they just updated it to a more modern version and I didn't Dislike that movie. That was actually kind of interesting movie to watch. I, I right? don't. I don't really about the Benicio del Toro. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. I, I don't yeah. understand all the negative backlash because I really like that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, didn't... I don't know what people were expecting. Mm-hmm. It's it's a Wolfman better movie. than the original. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> mean, know? it was it was more interesting to watch. But there was certain there was something, and I, well, I remember seeing it at the time, 
And I don't dislike the movie. I was kind of right down the middle with it. There, I, I liked it. It was visually interesting, and it and it and it it stuck enough to the original story idea, and but to bring out the more modern kind of visual concepts and the pacing and all that. But there was still a little something missing. There was some kind of spark that wasn't there, mm-hmm. and I couldn't really even put my finger yeah, on exactly. what that was. Well, the story wasn't that compelling, right? And and Renicio del Toro has like. Five lines. That's it. Right. He doesn't talk much. That that's kind of weird. Maybe not, they don't make him talk that much. Maybe because he has an accent. Yeah, it could be. I don't know. When I was a kid, we had books and records. Like a big book with a record, and you put the record on, and you follow along with a comic book along with the record. So it was like a like a like a narrated and oh, sound cool. effect for like a radio show with a book comic book. And I had one that was a horror one that had Dracula, Frankenstein, and the Wolfman kind of original stories condensed into, you know, the the side of a record or whatever. And the Wolfman one, I remember really liking that and they kind of took the original and and did the whole thing with the gypsy curse and the pentagram on the hand and all that. And then but then it kind of went off into this other area. But I remember enjoying that as a kid and finding that more compelling than the movie when I was a kid too. So it's interesting that Universal's now, uh, they're starting like a shared universe for all their monsters. Mm. That's like a movie trend that we're going to see develop over the few uh, the next few years. Every every studio wants to have a shared universe because Marvel has proven that it's sure. so profitable. Yeah, it works. DC's do it right. doing it, yeah. My only, my only uh, reservation with that is that it, it works for comic books because that's the way comic books have always been written. There's crossovers, there's like teams, but it doesn't work for everything else. So I don't know how this is going to work. I don't think it's going to be that exciting. It's well, tough. You, you just know. have to create a really great story, and that's the thing. Like with a superhero story, you have the, the character and their abilities, but then you have this whole blank slate of what what are they going to do? What's going to happen to them? Who's their enemy going to be? What's their backstory? What's their family? What are their friends? What's this whole adventure going to be? And you have this pretty wide spectrum of what you can create. Whereas with monster movies, I think that's just a little bit more limited as far as mm-hmm. what you can create around this monster. You know, it is way more limited. Yeah, because <laughs> I think when, when I think back, what made what made a movie like the Creature from the Black Lagoon interesting is that you don't really <clears throat> see the monster mm-hmm. till you're way into the movie, and then when you see him and you get like close up of the monster, it's 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 interesting because it's a it's a mystery, and you're like figuring out what the hell is this person thinking. Like when the monster is in the cage and they see him like you know trying to breathe, and you look into his eyes and you're like, there's some humanity there. Those yeah. scenes work because they yeah. don't show you the monster early on. It's it's not overdeveloped. It's not Yeah. You know. But I think current audiences wouldn't put up with a movie that you know didn't show anything sure. cool or any monsters or any sure. sequences for such a long period of time. Hence the backlash from Godzilla. Yeah. Because yeah. there wasn't enough Godzilla. Yeah. Man, exactly. but that that movie just had a lot of problems. Yeah. I, I would I wouldn't have you know, I would have liked it more had it been like that. Had it been truly like, oh, we're holding back Godzilla. But they showed you Godzilla, and then they caught away when he's about to start fighting. Right. And you're like, ah, oh, by the third time, you're already angry. I was angry. I was like, you know, just show us, like, you know, more than one minute of, like... <laughs> you know, although it was pretty true to the old Godzillas, because having watched some of those, it was kind of the same kind of pacing, kind of the same amount of monster stuff. It's like, there's a lot of... A lot of those movies have huge segments of just people yeah. talking about the monsters. Right. And then... Three or four minutes of the monsters smashing some buildings, and then another 20, 30 <laughs> minutes of people talking, then more monsters. So it was paced kind of similar to the old ones. I don't know if that was deliberate or, deliberate or not, but it was definitely the case. So. Didn't Toho actually work with uh, Legendary? Uh, to, to a degree, but <clears throat> Toho's actually going to be producing their own Godzilla movies again. Oh, They're yeah. coming mm-hmm. out with, around the time of Godzilla 2, the American Godzilla 2, there will be a new Toho Godzilla movie as well. Um, 
back in 96 when there was the American Godzilla that everybody hates. There was also another Godzilla movie around that time, and then Godzilla 2000 came out very shortly after that. So. I remember seeing that with a bunch of my friends, and we were just having the greatest time because we were all drunk and just <laughs> laughing at it because it was so... And I don't know if their like, visual effects were deliberately bad, but they were so bad it was it was awesome and the, the humor of it. Were you, you, were you doing visual effects back then? I was, yeah. and it was just funny. Like They're having shots of like the car with like a green screen, and they just didn't even bother, bother to do any camera tracking. They just slapped the background in there, and it's all just moving around left and right. <laughs> And I'm wow. like, oh, this is so bad, but it's kind of funny, you know. Yeah. Oh, is this really the nice. one with Matthew Broderick? No, yeah. the one before that. Oh, the one. Oh, okay. The Godzilla 2000 is what I'm referring. Oh, to. okay. Yeah, that was the, the Toho ju- style. That like, was a Japanese guy in a that suit. Was a, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. want to ask you: Have you seen the the Last Hobbit yet? Yes. What did you think about the special effects? I, in my opinion, I feel like the Hobbit films. I don't know. There's something about the special effects that really they stand out. There's some some of the rendering. I don't know much about special effects, but it just like there's this scene in the second one. When um, Legolas and Evangeline Lily's character, they're like hopping around, and you're like, "Oh my god, that looks like PlayStation graphics." Yeah, it's... I don't know what happened. I don't know if they didn't have enough time, or you know, the interesting thing. I, I tried to figure out exactly why I had some issues with the Hobbit films as opposed to the Lord of the Rings films in terms of the visual effects, because that's what I do for a living. And I just realized that the work they do there is phenomenal. It's like the the quality of their environments and all that stuff is really amazing but there's just these all these different elements of realism that happen in the real world in terms of the lighting and all the things that happen on the ground and everything else that just it still looks like actors on a digital background like through a lot of the scenes with smog and the not not necessarily right interacting with smog but in the caverns when they're running around and stuff you know they're running in front of green screens and they're creating this entire environment which is phenomenal work but it's not real and there's just an there's certain elements that are just missing and it's hard i always hate when people criticize visual effects or even filmmaking in general because you're not the one having to actually create that yourself like if you were to have to try to do that you would be hard pressed to do a better job That's than they did uphill battle, it's a very right, hard right, uphill battle right. but lord of the rings as opposed to the hobbit most of the stuff there even though there's a lot of visual effects a lot of it was on set on location right, stuff they built a lot of sets a lot of real environments, and then they did set extensions behind it. My, and map my, my and biggest things. gripe with the Hobbit is the orcs are CG. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, that took me out, man. Like, I, I was seeing the main orc guy, and I was like, "You look cool," mm-hmm. but man, I I wish you had you were practical. I wish yeah. you, you hired like a tough guy. You know, they're, they're, I, you I think that the thing that the Hobbit movies suffer from, and I enjoy the Hobbit movies sure. very much because. For me, I mean, I had the extended editions of all the original Lord of the Trilogy, Lord of the Rings trilogy, and for me to spend, be able to get a chance to spend more time in that universe, in Peter Jackson's vision of that universe, is a treat. For yes. sure. So, I like I, I give the Hobbit movies a lot more pass than most people do, but I think the thing that they suffer from more, uh, suffer from the most is. Uh, the ratio of CG to to practical, and Lord of the Rings had a lot more practical. In there. Yeah, that was and a what... lot of the backgrounds are so clear, mm-hmm. and my human eyes would never see mountains no. way no, no. out there no, 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 no. this clear. No, no. So that kind of takes us, yeah, yeah, yeah. Out of it. They um, 
Yeah, I mean, there's scenes in Skyrim that look better than some of the you know out, outdoor scenes in the in the Hobbit. But the story is good. What they've added to the original book and the things that they added in are is interesting and it's fun and it, I like it. And it, like I said, it's just more of a chance to spend in that world and that they're using the same music and the same sensibility. And I feel the emotional well inside me and it and it moves me and and that's that's what it is. Because I mean, you know, every time I watch. Lord of the Rings, I get I get teary at certain stuff and things, yeah. and the, the music is all part of that, and a lot of the production is part of that, and and I'm I'm experiencing that with the Hobbit as well. But the, it, there are problems. It's t- not as not as technically um, I don't want to say perfect, but it's not as technically uh, uh, balanced as as the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, trilogy. It's, to me, it's just disappointing because of the fact that the Lord of the Rings movies were made. Prior to the Hobbit, so mm-hmm. they successfully created a world that you completely got sucked into. That seemed like you were here in Middle Earth. These are real characters going through this real world, going through these real trails in the woods, and there's actual orcs coming out and trying to kill them. That seems like a real place, and that's what brings people sure. into a film. Sure, and then to go down the line years and years later with even more enhancements and what you can do with visual effects and filmmaking to After have Avatar. It. Yeah, exactly. Which yeah. was fairly well done i mean i mean yeah. i thought that looked pretty nice and then just to see i mean again it's it's amazing work i just wish it had a little bit more of that grittiness or realistic sure, sure, sure. You're, you're right it was though. a little bit clean avatar was a little too clean yeah. a little too yeah. clean you're right though like in the in the, the bigger picture that the when you put it in context these are incredibly hard things to pull oh, off yeah, people yeah, yeah. yeah. it's well, it, that, a film like this takes so many hundreds of people you know to thousands. working in synchronicity to you know deliver so, well, I mean, that's I what I liked it. about the Lord of the Rings trilogy. There, there's dirt and grime and muck, and you know, mm-hmm. you, you know, when he, when he, when when Aragorn chops off the head of the of the 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 uh, uh, Orokin uh, uh, commander, or whatever, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and the black oil blood <laughs> just, bleh, and it just there's there's such a there's times when you're watching Lord of the Rings and you can almost smell where yeah, they you can are. Taste it too, you yeah. can almost taste it. <laughs> it's got that real visceral, yeah. you know, bleh, and you're just like, bleh. and but there were moments in The Hobbit, the first one, like the Goblin King and mm-hmm. stuff like that, where you really were just thing, like, yeah. you know. <laughs> but there's that's that was worthy of the CG. But I agree about with the orcs. Um, the one thing I did like in The Hobbit, though, the second one was was Smaug. I, I just couldn't take my eyes off off yeah. him, and and you know I like Cumberbatch doing the voice and the mocap and and everything. Did you see? Have you seen the Stephen Colbert rapport clip yeah, with Smaug? It was great. It's so great. Oh my <laughs> god! And it, it had to be the team that worked on. It had to be you know t- uh, Peter Jackson's. Team who did that, and they obviously they got Cumberbatch, and I love the little thing that hack Cumberbatch. It was so good, <laughs> yeah. man. That was good. Yeah. It Cum- just looked seamless. It looked like that dragon was in that. You studio. know what? Yeah. Cumberbatch can sell soup. He's he's he can sell anything, and I'll buy it. He's and like, I know people are kind of tired of getting bang, you know banged over the head with him, but man, is he just he's great. He's just he's just he's been playing a lot of like historical figures lately. He yeah. played Alan Alan Turing, uh Julian Assange, yeah. Sherlock. Yeah. Uh, that's what he's doing. That's what he's um, doing. Um, Sherlock's not a historical figure. <clears throat> oh, oh, he's not? <laughs> 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 Darn it! Uh, um, so, uh, I was going to ask you about something else when we drifted away. Um, so, um, did you have another question? Um, 
I, well, I mean, I'm, I'm curious about what you use at work to, uh, to, uh, to, you know, how what your I mean, if you can talk about it, I don't know if you can, but your 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 workflow, um, the workflow of like a special effects artist, because I'm sure that you get like little tasks and whatnot. But how does that how does that go down? You you guys have like stand ups every day. You have like a project manager that assigns stuff to you guys. Basically, there's like a large group of different teams. Um, in the earlier days of visual effects, it was a little bit more where. Uh, basically you got a shot where you got like a background plate of something that was shot on set and it was just all yours to do like here this needs a volcano in it or this needs a monster or whatever and you had to do everything Hmm. that was fairly inefficient because not everyone is good at 3d modeling not everyone is good at texture painting not everyone is good as lighting or effects and all these different things so you get a kind of a mishmash between shots where some shots look good in some areas not in other areas it's hard to keep consistency so now the industry is broken up into all these different departments that do very specific tasks. So you'll go, a shot will be, they'll figure out the camera angles of the shot and where all the props are going to be. And then it'll get handed off to some animators that are going to animate the character in there. And then some other people are going to be doing the texturing on, of the materials on that character. Someone else will be doing all the lighting of the lights in the digital environment to get that right with all the shadows looking the right way. And then I do mainly effects, which is if there's needed any kind of splashing water or if a wall gets shattered or something blows up, I do that portion of stuff. Then there's all the compositors who put all these elements together. So it's very departmentalized now. So you're kind of responsible for what I've heard referred to as a pass of a scene. Yeah. Like one, like the, this pass is the, the, the physical element, this pass is the lighting, this yes. pass is the... Correct. Okay. It's like a conveyor belt approach. It, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's much more of a conveyor so, belt approach. So I'm curious... Um, when you're gonna okay, we've got this scene. There's an island, and there's okay. The the, the other team has put the mountain, and you need to put in the volcano. Mm-hmm. Are you j- just sitting there with a with a, a a stylus of some kind and just drawing in smoke frame by frame, or do you have a thing that generates a program or a, or a um, uh, a, a template or a uh, what's what am I looking for um, a macro or something that that has some kind of physics algorithm in it that generates smoke based on wind direction and you kind of put in all these factors that kind of then does it and then you kind of clean it up or you pretty much exactly described it in your second description it's it's mainly a lot of in my department at least there's a lot of math involved a lot of equations a lot of things like that a lot of physics a lot of you know physics solvers and things like that so basically you know, you're positioning something that's going to emit, let's say, you know, particles at a certain location at a certain velocity, and then you're adding all these different variables of how much swirl and how much noise and all these kind of things are affecting them. And then you're looking at that as an artist, though, and saying, does that look like a volcano? Sure. And then you're adjusting. It needs more velocity or it needs more blobbiness or it needs more flow down the side of the mountain. You're, sure. You're, you're basically tweaking a lot of these you know, computer programming variables in order to get a look that looks right. And that's one of those things in terms of having the eye for that. It takes years and years of experience to kind of figure out what looks right. Because there's a lot of people that come out of school with skills in programming sure. and things like that. And they, they want to get in the, the industry. Feel. You have Because as an artist, you have to feel it, right? I mean, you have to, it has to come from an emotional place so that's an in order for it to feel right. And I think, yeah. sorry, back to Transformers. That's what's lacking. It's, it's, there's, there's not a lot of emotional human feeling behind all this stuff that's happening on screen. It's just a lot of movement. It's a bad script. Does that, does that make script. sense, what it's I'm saying? It's a bad script. There's no, there's no story. Well, it's not even a matter of the script. I'm talking about what <laughs> you're what seeing in terms of the way that things move. And I know they're supposed to be machines, but they also have minds and hearts kind of 
emotional The one thing centers, that I do like that I'll, I'll, kind yeah. of, I'll counter that with, I, the one thing I do like about the movies is Bumblebee. I think that's, mm, that's the mm. best character. How he speaks through samples and yeah. he's sort of like, yeah. you, know, you know. That's the one character yeah. that has that emotional base to it. He's right? got the link to the main guy. So, so <clears throat> speaking of to your time in, in graphic design and, and I'm assuming computer animation, mm-hmm. that sort of yeah. thing, how has that changed over the years? When you were first starting, were you doing that stuff by hand before those, or were you creating some of those algorithms? Were you that kind of thing? Well, it, basically, we were limited in the early days because the computers were limited in terms of how fast they were. Sure. The software was still in early development. We were using only Unix at the time, only SGI boxes and things like that. So there's just limitations to how much we could do. So it was basically, you know, well, we can only do, you know, let's say like in the abyss, like we can do a blobby creature that moves around a little bit, but we can't do smog, mm-hmm. you know, sure, or sure. we can't do certain other things. <laughs> that's too like, many elements yeah, to be too much detail. We can't once. do that pile of coins because we can't calculate. A million oh, coins yeah, sliding yeah, down a thing yeah, like the yeah. the processing power for that is just out of our range. So we say we can't do that. So the films were just a little bit more limited in the beginning in terms of what they could do. They go, oh, we could do a twister, or we could do a one dinosaur, or something like that. Right. But we can't do. The Was that scale. like on the old like silicon graphics machines? And yes. Stuff? Yes. And yeah, yeah. You know, I was watching. The, I was watching an old movie from took the eighties. Forever 80s, to render. <laughs> early eighties, I think it's called Altered States. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, it's uh, with um, John Hurt. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, William Hurt. William, William Hurt. Hurt. I always get him confused. Right. Um, but towards the end, he starts like turning into a blob, and I was like, "This effect is awesome!" <laughs> and this is like 1984. I was like, "How did they do that, man?" Because I started thinking, '84, maybe you know, Commodores, whatever. Like this is mm-hmm. before uh, 386 computers. I was like, "How the hell did they do?" This were like rotoscoping or something. You know, and some of the interesting thing. I'm not sure about that <clears> specific <throat> film. What what techniques they use but again i think it still comes down to even in the early days about the, the people creating the visual effects or creating the film itself their vision of what they want to see because that's i think the biggest disconnect with some of the films and shots that don't work even today is where perhaps the person creating the effect or the director or whoever's involved in it doesn't quite know what they want to see mm. that will be you know, will create the best impact. You know, and that and that's the the skill that they haven't spent of, enough time with pen and paper drawing or yeah. or working in some other media that that is not. It's just having a vision in your head. Yeah. You have to every shot, every thing you want to create. Doesn't matter if you're talking about a costume or a prop or a, a visual effect. You have to have a vision of it in your head in order to create that, and or at least to be able to look at what you're creating and say, "That's not what I want." You know, that's not looking right. I want it to be, you know, darker or more scary or more splattery or whatever. You just have to, you know, you need to have the skills to do those things. But at the same time, you just have to know what you're looking for. And well, I think that some people, do, they just still create it and say, well, there's the dragon. I did the dragon. It's like, well, that dragon, just the way it looks or the way it's moving just isn't what I want to see in terms of making it seem extra creepy or extra powerful. You know, maybe just... You have to think about, like, let's say you have the ability to animate the dragon and move his feet up and down and his body up and down. It's like, how do you create that sense of weight, of size? Like, how does it move? Like, how fast does it move? How slow does it move? Right. But you have to envision the the muscles. Like, I'm, right. I have to envision that because I have to animate yeah. these things happening. So right. I need to think about that or at least be able to see my animation. And like, it looks like he's light on his feet and like, I'm a dragon. And it just doesn't... He looks like Pete's dragon in Disney. Yeah, and you're like, like okay, that's yeah. not quite... Yeah. And you have to... Ah, uh, Helen Reddy. Yeah. Uh, uh. <laughs> you guys, it's going to be so frustrating being an art director. That's just me. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be so okay. frustrating working with uh, like a director 
that doesn't have a clear vision. He's just like, uh, yeah, I want this. Oh, but yeah, change it. And then like it's it's like yeah. this process. Or Michael of, Bay, yeah, just put more explosions in there. It'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, uh, doing it for a living, your your job is to give them what they want. It's not to do what you want. I mean, you can put your twist on it and show it to them, And but if they don't like it and they want more explosions, you're going to get more explosions. I'm going to give you what you want. I mean, that's sure. part of doing it for a living is that you're going to give Michael Bay what Michael Bay wants and make them happy. So. Sure. You know, and if it makes a lot of money, then they, they were the one making the right call. I remember, uh, I think it was uh, the movie Blade I was working on, and the director, Stephen Norrington, at the time, uh, was working with one of the artists. Like, at the time, the directors would, you know, come to your desk and work with you on some of the stuff to try to get the look they were looking for. So he was working with someone, I think, in the desk next to me or something, and the person started kind of arguing with them about what they thought would look better. And he's like, if you want to do it your way, make your own fucking movie. <laughs> you know, go yeah. go to because yeah. he had done he had come from just doing more of like a amateur like a, like a low like a B movie kind of you know horror sci fi kind of film and the studio said that's pretty good why don't we get him to direct our big mm, Hollywood movie yeah, so he yeah. was like why don't you go make your own cool B student movie and pitch your idea to the studios and have them hire you to direct a big Hollywood blockbuster yeah. like I did. Then you can choose how you want to do it, but I'm the boss, and I I'm want the director, it this way. Yeah, you know, this is my it, vision. Yeah, so I mean, he was pretty pissed off with the guy, and, and I remember imagine. listening to that, just going, you know, yeah, you know, like if sense. I want to do this stuff my way, like if I want to make a costume my way, if I want to do a visual, like why not do it on my own, do my own projects right, and right, make it right. my way. But but if my you're here being is, yeah under the yeah. yoke, and you can you can you can put in your creative input, and obviously your breadth of experience is going to have certain weight, you know, to be able to suggest. It should look this way or that way, or what do you think about this? But but ultimately, it's not your it's not your film. Yeah, your name's not on the on the on the marquee. You, know? you yeah. should have been more persuasive. But let me <laughs> ask you something. Uh, <laughs> since you've been in the business for a while, what are some of the um, what are some of the movies that you remember watching and thinking, "Wow, this is a game changer for special effects"? Uh, Jurassic Park, obviously. Just the fact that you had a digital character in a live action environment with actual actors that looked like it was there mm-hmm, was mm-hmm. like a game changer just to realize hey we can create something digitally any kind of character any kind of thing and put it in there in a good way because it's not that there weren't digital characters or digital elements in films before there were it's just they weren't well integrated they didn't have quite the lighting and compositing skills applied to them to make them look like that's really there it looked like oh that's kind of a cool spaceship in the background but it's obviously a visual effect sure, but just sure. to have something that felt like it's really there takes you out like takes you removes all your disbelief of yeah. it being a visual you're like this is really happening and that's one of those things that really just sunk in for me is that that's what you need to strive for is and i tell this to people who are like students who are working on like their own demo reels and things like that i'm like if you can create something that looks like it's real then you, you succeed great you know right. that's, well that was the thing about going back to jurassic park and that balance between or that technical balance between cg and practical and how it makes all the difference in the world. Mm-hmm. And even Jurassic Park 3, which a lot of people don't like, I really enjoy that movie a lot, mostly because it's not Jurassic Park 2. But <laughs> I like... Um, I like the two big Tyrannosaurus Rexes coming into the camp. That's okay. But, throwing but then, the camper. You know, that was fun. But, but, but yeah. He's, he's but got the, personal issues. But the story... <laughs> yeah, yeah. There were things... There were enjoyable things about Lost World... But there was a lot that took me way out of the movie, way, way, way out of the movie, and ruined. And I wound up actually. That's one of the few films I've actually walked out on. Um, when the dinosaur went down the ramp into what was supposed to be San Diego, which was actually Burbank, they do a skyline of Burbank and called it San Diego. I don't know why. 
And they walked down the thing, and I'm, I turned to my wife at the time and said, Okay, we now have a T-Rex terrorizing a city. If there's a Japanese person who screams and runs out of the way, I'm out of here. And the next shot, there's a Japanese guy in a black suit with a, with a thin tie and glasses and a little black mustache... And he's like, ah! And I'm like, I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. I walked out. I think the only movie I walked out of was Speed Racer. <laughs> yeah. Because I was bored. I didn't, yeah. I, didn't bother. yeah. <laughs> I worked on that one. <laughs> no, you're working. No, that's, the director chooses what they yeah, want to do. But the one, thing, the one thing I can say is it looked awesome. Pusher. It looked awesome. But pixel man, pusher, was, pixel pusher. Really You're nice. just a pixel pusher. <laughs> but then again, it's really hard to adapt uh, anime like Speed Racer. Like it has no story, really. It's yeah. like you know. Before um, <clears throat> the movie you mentioned from '84, there was uh, there was Tron and there was Black, oh, yeah. the Black Hole, two Tron. Disney properties Dude. that used. There was a lot of computer animation in the Black Hole. Tron a is lot. like the uh, the epitome of uh, awesome special effects movies. That I still watch that movie and I'm like, wow, this yeah. is amazing. Yeah, yeah. But the black hole, which I haven't seen forever, um, but yeah, that was the first one. I mean, they had whole robot characters, which I would imagine are because they don't really have any moving parts; they're just basically cans that move. And that was, you know, the Maximilian character and the little. There was that nice, happy, shiny robot, and then there was the other little kind of junker, clunker, beat up robot. But uh, yeah, another movie that I remember watching as a kid that gave me nightmares because of the special effects was uh, Clash of the Titans. Ray Harryhausen. I love oh, that movie. I watched I it every too. time I got sick as a kid. Yeah. I remember when that over. came out, my mom's like, you're going to go see a Titan movie? You're going to be bored to death? I'm like, Mom, it's Ray Harryhausen. Are you kidding? <laughs> I went and saw it four times in the theater when it came out. Because I, I, it was a local station in, in Denver when I grew up, and they, they were always showing old movies during the week. They, would, they had movies in the afternoon, and they would do a theme for the week. It would be romantic comedies or blah, blah, blah. Then they would do monster movies, and they would do Godzilla all one week, or um, or they would do um, Ray Harryhausen movies, mm. you know, uh, Sinbad and I the Tiger and Golden Voyage of Sinbad, and, um, which did, had Tom Baker do, uh, Doctor Who in that did one. Did he now. do uh, Jason and the Argonauts? Yes, Jason yeah. and the Argonauts. I mean, he worked on all that stuff. Uh, it came from Beneath the Sea and, and just, oh, and Mighty Joe Young. I loved all those movies. And he was he was a genius. I actually got to be on a on the radio with him once at a uh, oh, cool. Denver International Film Festival. They tried to have their own film festival for a while back in the late eighties, early nineties, and I wound up being on the ra- on the radio with Ray Harryhausen and some local radio guy, and that was kind of cool talking about movies. So, what are some of the films that imprinted you guys in terms of? Wow, that's cool. I want to make that costume, or wow, that's cool. I want to make that special effect. When you were kids. Well, I probably time. liked Monsters more first. So, like, Clash of the Titans was one of those. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just remember going to the video store all the time and re-renting oh, yeah. it over. Yeah. Do you remember going to a video store? Well, to video get- store. You know, I was thinking, I was thinking yesterday, because I was watching something about comic books and comic book stores, and I remember thinking, wow, if I'm a comic book artist, I can go to a comic book store. Chances are I'll meet other artists there. I'll socialize with them. Cool. Do musicians have that? anymore musicians no. don't have that they can't go to the music store anymore uh you know f- film fans don't have that you know yeah what do they have There's, now guitar center you know i've tried talking to people there and you know it's almost impossible yeah but yeah that, that's a curious thing that you know that's been taken away from musicians and, and, and filmmakers because tarantino worked at a video store and i'm yeah. sure he made a lot of uh buddies there that ended up working with him in the future and in all these movies and stuff it's very interesting 
So for you, it was Clash of the Titans. Yeah, that was one of yeah, my favorite movies. I used to rent Star Wars all the time when I was young as well. Um, I miss video else? stores, and I miss the smaller and mom and poppier the better, because they would have the weird stuff that didn't know where else. They didn't, Blockbuster didn't have it, and Hollywood didn't have it, and none of the others. And going and, and just seeing all those weird movies. There's still a place... I don't. Know, I hope they're still there. I think it's uh, down in the west side called uh, Cinephile, I think, and they have really obscure DVDs there. Really obscure stuff. I remember, man. I I, I was going to video stores up until the early two thousands, and that's how I discovered like Troma films and like mm, yeah, yeah. Ta- Takashi Miike films and stuff like that. You know, I wouldn't have found out about that otherwise. Yeah. What what else inspired you? The Star Wars and the monsters and That's Clash of the Titans. Um, Jurassic Park like changed my life. Yeah, because I loved dinosaurs oh, yeah. and dragons so oh, yeah. much. You and know when what? it came out, I was so bummed out. I was a little kid, but I was like, I, I wish this came out when I was older so I could work on it. It was yeah. like yeah. <laughs> I was sad about it. Talking about the Jeremy <laughs> Irons Dungeons and Dragons or or no? Was no, it, oh. Jurassic Park. Oh, Jurassic Park. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> For some reason, I started thinking. Sorry, about I heard. It. I miss, I'm so going down. I think I, I, think I heard something. I think I transferred my thought to you because I was thinking yeah, of Dungeons how horrible Dragons, that movie yeah. 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 was. So I was, I was more into that type of stuff, and then I, once I got into costumes, most of my inspiration comes from Cirque du Soleil. Like, I collect all of their sure, books sure. from all their shows. I love to go to all their shows, and then I just kind of use a lot of their Elements. ideas. Yeah, I use a lot of that in my costumes. Cool, cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you guys um, do you guys have like o- online galleries other than like Facebook or whatever like a, a more public kind of galleries for your costumes and stuff? Or? Yeah, I think so. I was working on a new website recently, and uh, I still have my old one. But uh, yeah, yeah, I have a cleverlittlecat.com. dot com. Okay, so nice. all my cakes are there, my paintings, oh, nice, a lot nice. of costumes. Yeah, we'll be, yeah, we can put up links to all that stuff. Yeah, so cool. yeah, that's good. Um, so. Um, what you haven't mentioned uh, the films that imprinted you when you were younger. Um, I mean, Star Wars was a huge, huge influence because, you know, when you're younger and you first see that for the first time, that movie was a game changer for even for adults just because it just created this whole world no one had ever seen before. And that's, if I would say anything, that that phrase that is used, creating a world you've never seen before, is one of the things that I always strive for, whether you're talking about creating a costume or or working on your own films or your own artwork or anything like that. I always love the idea of just creating something people haven't seen before because that's the one thing I feel with all the reboots we were talking about earlier. That's the thing that that bothers me a little bit is that Hollywood and a lot of artistic people in general seem to have a hard time struggling to find something that hasn't been done before. And for me, it's like that's what I struggle really hard to accomplish. I'm like, I want to create a costume or a character or something that no one has ever seen before. So when you walk in the room, people are like, what is that? Oh my god, that's that's really cool because that's the feeling I got with Star Wars when I was a kid. You know, you see Darth Vader come walking through that door, and you're like, "Who the hell is this dude? Yeah. I've never seen this kind of helmet before. Yeah. I've never seen this kind of you know outfit before. Right. Who are these stormtroopers? Like this? I mean, just none of those costume designs, none of those characters, Boba Fett or whatever. You know, you see all those bounty hunters standing there. Like I've never seen guys wearing there's a big robot with a gun and like a big lizard dude like. What is this? This is amazing. So that, that cantina scene, if you freeze frame yeah. it, you'll see so much cool stuff. In yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But that was all created like that was the first time any of those characters were seen, like a hammerhead, you know, like some yeah. guy, like no one's ever seen the walrus guy or whatever. It's like these are these yeah. some makeup effects artists and costume designers are just creating these characters that no one's ever seen before, and that is what made everyone who's watching that cantina scene or any of those scenes Star Wars, you know, their jaws drop like, oh my god, this is a alien universe with all these aliens that look. 
they look real. They're really there. They look real. I'm here in this world. So that's the thing that kind of really inspired me, I think, probably, is just the idea of, like, you're going to create some costumes or characters or artwork that just no one's ever seen before. And I just, I wish people, more people strove for that because you see a lot of people trying to emulate things that they're fans of. Say, like, I love, you know, certain, some other comic book artist's artwork, so I'm going to recreate that artwork, you know, mm-hmm. instead of, like, saying, yeah, I want to be the, the new guy that creates a new style of artwork or a new kind of comic character that no one's ever seen before. Sure. Or I want to make a film that no one's ever seen before with a storyline that no one's ever seen before. It's just... I just feel that that's what a lot of people struggle with is trying to figure out what do I do. And, and it's not that it's not hard. It's hard to come up with something new. But, I mean, yeah. if you can, I think that's where you, you blow up. Yeah, well, where, I think you know, we're, we're in, a, in a funky uh, era where Hollywood doesn't really want to spend money on original ideas. Because they have this golden goose and people are spending a lot of money going to mm-hmm. reboots and, and franchise films or whatever. That's why I'm such a huge fan of Guillermo del Toro because he has the carte blanche power... And everything he makes is 110% original. Yeah, he's amazing, yeah. yeah. And, he and he's one of those people that, that is doing kind of like, like what I described that I do, which is that he does movies for money that are just Hollywood blockbuster-type films, and he yeah. does a great job for the studios creating the big moneymaker movies. Then he goes and does his creepy, awesome horror movies, his smaller movies on yeah. his own, in between those movies. <laughs> so I, I think that's awesome. That's an amazing yeah. movie. Combo. Yeah, can't wait for Pac Room too. Uh, <laughs> so many people just didn't get Pac Room. They just didn't get it. Oh, I loved just, it. I know. They just didn't get it. It's like more big monsters, big, big giant monsters, big giant robots fighting big giant monsters. Ah! And they what more do you need? What more awesome. do you need? <laughs> and that's and that's the thing. You look at that, and you look at what kind of a kind of really kind of what a simple idea that is, and what it's based on, and what it, what the history of that you know thing is. And then you look at Transformers, and you look at the difference. I mean, they're both big, giant Hollywood blockbuster films, and one works, and one just doesn't. And 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 you look, and but but the people making the one that doesn't aren't going to sit and analyze what doesn't work. They're just going to churn out the same thing over and over again. That'll get See, bump, you know teenage butts and seats. Basically, the, 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 the difference being that Guillermo del Toro is not just a filmmaker; he's a fan. He's a love. He, he knows. Love. That's that yeah. back to that emotional place again. There's that emotional thing in there and he's emotionally invested in creating the, the whole process from like creating the prototype to like you know developing the story and casting he's he's in there 110 percent. that's why he's so uh effective well that's the other thing is 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 that guillermo keeps proving is you don't have to make a big hollywood blockbuster that appeals to the the, the broad spectrum you can make a hollywood blockbuster that's about one little tiny thing one little genre, one genre, and and make it big and make it work and make it, you know. Yeah, as long as you have a good story and good characters and you create a... a basically, to get people in the seats, you just have to have a few shots for the trailer sure. that blow people away. Like, I've never seen sure. this before. I want to go check it out. There's a giant, that, that bridge. Was, was, was Terminator 2 uh, one of those movies that you looked at and you were like, wow, this is amazing? Or did it You know, I remember being entertained by it. I remember seeing the first Terminator on video or something and, and liking it quite a bit. It was just a great cool movie but it didn't it wasn't one of those movies that just like changed my life necessarily terminator 2 just because it had some more advanced visual effects it was like hey those are pretty cool those are some that's some cool looking visuals that i haven't seen before which is again that's what you want to do mm-hmm. those are those things that draws people to to get in the seats and that's the thing like i'm always i always find watching trailers very interesting because i'm always curious about the psychology of basically what gets butts in the seats and you know trailers are what do that and it's sure. like you just need to have a few shots that 
are showing something that people haven't seen before. Because when we're talking about Transformers, another movie I use as an example a lot is uh, 2012, which is like, it, it's, 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 you know, it's not a horrible movie or something, but it's not amazing. And, you know, the laughing. actual film has a lot of, you know, just some funky scenes in it and stuff. But there's some shots in the trailer that are just amazing that make you go, dude, I don't care if this movie sucks. I want to see that tidal wave coming over the Himalayas. Like, yeah, yeah. you just see these shots, you're like, I've never seen that before. And so, even if I know for a fact, like, even Transformers qualifies for this, it's like, even if I know this, the story's going to be pretty simplistic and pretty the acting won't be phenomenal, if they show some stuff in the trailer I've never seen before, there's the temptation to go see it. You're, I'm going to give them their money, even though I know that it's not necessarily going to be the best movie in the world, but it's because something in the trailer drew you in, which is sure. where... Like really you can enjoy a movie like that from a technical perspective, or from a technological perspective, or from a visual effects perspective. There's there's certain films that are visually stunning that that are, might be lacking in in story depth or whatever. But um, and that's fine too. Um, You're talking about Roland Emmerich. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I loved ID four. I, I still like ID four. I, I say, yeah. 20, I still think yeah. that Independence Day is 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 a really amazingly big budget B movie and it and it and it, on that level it works no not all of the science is logical no not all of you know but it it's I a got, B I movie say, I was it's, watching it and I couldn't finish it I don't know why Oh I love that no. movie so much <laughs> Wait did you guys see 47 Ronin I did not Yeah I, I liked not. it I liked it It got man. like 13% on Rotten Tomatoes I really liked it man But I really enjoyed it Because Dude. I'm, I'm I Maybe think it because was because we all just went to the, culture, yeah, right? we had just gone to the so. samurai exhibit at LACMA <clears throat> that's there. It's gorgeous. It's amazing. Cool. But, you know, we watched that a few days afterwards, and it was so much fun. The monks look so cool, man. Yeah, that was one of those films where, when I talk about trailers, where I saw the trailer for it, I'm like, they did a great job in this trailer. It looks like it has a bunch of really cool stuff in it. But then I saw all these terrible reviews and all these, you know, bad Rotten Tomatoes ratings and stuff. I'm like, okay, well, maybe they just showed these really cool shots, but the movie sucks. And so I kind of passed on seeing it in theaters, and then, but I'm like, I know there's some cool visual effects in here, so I want to watch it at some point. So I throw it on the Netflix queue, and then watching it, I'm like, this isn't a bad movie or anything. I mean, it's it's not the best movie I've ever seen in the world, but it wasn't bad at all. So I'm like, this is a pretty reasonable movie with a bunch of cool visual effects. I'm like, I'm just surprised that this didn't do better than it did. Yeah. I think as an audience, people are spoiled now. They have to, whereas 10, 15 years ago, when we didn't have access to all this media. And, and, and all that stuff, and we didn't have, like, YouTube, you know, we couldn't give normal people a voice. People had a lower bar, you know. Mm-hmm. A, a movie didn't have to hit all the notes in order for someone to consider it good, but now it's like it has to hit all the notes. Except this, for Transformers. Except, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess Transformers. Hey, there are robots taking down buildings. I kind of enjoy that. So. Yeah. <laughs> Especially in Los Angeles. <laughs> Smash that bank building. Dinosaur um, robots. Yeah, the know. dinosaur robots. Yeah, yeah. They brought, the, they brought out you the dinosaurs. You they kind of appeal to me. Dino right away, so I can't help it. Well, I'm waiting for them to do the, the big, uh, what is it, the Decepticon, the Constructicons. Oh, where yeah. they did all the construction equipment uh, uh, Decepticons <laughs> that turn into this giant walk, giant kind of Voltron amal- amalgamation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, that would be a movie yeah. that would be interesting. Would be Voltron. I think that would be a lot that's, of fun. That's probably coming. I think that would be really. I would like to see that as a live action kind of through you know CG kind of thing. As long as the you know, um, but you know, make it not about Earth. Put it on another planet somewhere. Of course, then there's the challenge of you. You're competing with Transformers or something very similar to Transformers. Sure, so. sure, sure. I I don't know why there there hasn't been more. Um, 
like Hollywood adaptation of anime because you know Pacific Rim kind of proved that it's profitable. Transformers, obviously. I'm waiting for my Gundam movie. You know, I want to see that one at least. I know that that uh, DiCaprio he bought the rights for Ghost in the Shell. Or, or no, no, say, no, Ghost in the Shell. Uh, Akira. He bought Akira. the rights for Akira. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, some of those classics, or or even like a. I don't know. I think a Vampire Hunter D would be kind of oh, fun that would be as, a, awesome, as, a, dude. as a live action. That would be. Although they kind of did that with Van Helsing a little no, bit. No, but they have to make it R if they make a. Vampire yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. And I, I, I like. They're not going to do it. I like. Um, what were we talking about? What was I talking about last week? Of oh, about Watchmen. About how they they retained oh, the yeah. the rated Rness of of Watchmen, and that's one of the reasons why I like it so much. There's so many people that. Really don't like Watchmen. I think it's a masterpiece, man. I I agree. I I love it, and and I love it because they didn't they didn't pull punches and they didn't they didn't they didn't kitty it kitty it up. It's not a kid film. It's a rated R movie. It's it's an adult comic book film. And then you know they changed the ending and whatever. But they kept they, the freaking rape scene. They maintained. I, I, I didn't yeah. think they were going to keep that. They one. maintained yeah. Alan Moore's sense of uh, dread and cynicism in the movie, and I like that. Yeah, that was one of the things that really disappointed me about hearing about Guillermo del Toro's uh, The um, Mountains of Madness, mm. that that got pushed back or canceled or didn't get the funding because he, the story was basically a rated R kind of sure. story, mm. and the studios weren't willing to put that much money into all the visual effects for a rated R movie, which is understandable because those are rated R movies. It's hard to have your gigantic Avatar-style blockbuster without it mm. being PG-13, so... You know, I hope that it ends up getting made maybe on a smaller scale. Yeah, yeah. You know, just change the script. He's also, he was also attached to uh, Justice League Dark, mm-hmm. which I know has like you know awesome like DC like uh, Constantine Swamp Thing is in it, which he's one of my favorites. Yeah. I'm I'm Swamp hoping thing. as this new generation of like Marvel movie lovers and uh, are growing up and and doing like we did and still watching cartoons and still playing video games and and still enjoying properties from our childhood that as they go along we will see a more I'm going to create a word here adultification of of <laughs> that popular you know milieu of 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 seeing more adult themed stories within that context of a fantastical comic book type world. I want to see more of that. I like more of that. Um, cause you know, we're adults and, and adult yeah. themes lend themselves to those things as well. I mean, all the comic books themselves dealt with adult themes all the time. Things like drug addiction and rape and, and things like that. And I think those stories should be told as well. It's not just about what brings kids and sells yeah. toys to kids. So. I think the problem is that for the market you have, a huge segment of parents with children. Mm. Then you have the rest of the market, all the adults. And so when you make a rated R movie, you might get all the adults to go, but if you don't get all the families with children to go as well, you don't have a big blockbuster. You need the full spectrum. So that's why you end up with more of the PG-13. And even with more progressive, modern parents that are okay with some of that stuff, the question is, are you willing to take your four-year-old to a movie that has a rape scene or a big blue guy with his penis hanging out or whatever. Sure, you know, sure. Not everyone's comfortable with that. Right, so, right. You know. Well, and that's the thing, though, is I think that, that yeah, I know I know the studios spend a lot of money to make a movie like that, and they have to make their money back, and then they also have to make profit on top of that. I get that. But I think there's got to be a, a balance somewhere down the middle where you can have a 
characters that have superpowers or whatever and make it more adult and make it to where enough of the adults are going to go see it. Let's just let's just have movie. EC Comics start making movies. You yeah, know? yeah. Crime stories. You yeah, know? <laughs> decapitations. Yeah. But no, but I think I think Marvel had a you good enough chance. Of that on the news, right? That's, that's true, man. <laughs> Nightcrawler people go watch that movie. Uh, I think uh, Marvel had a, a shot of uh, at, at like opening this adult market. With Daredevil, but they're putting it on Netflix uh, alongside you know the Power Man show, and it's definitely going to be PG. You know? Yeah, one of the things that I was going to bring up, which is that this happened with the evolution of the mu- mu- or the music industry with the Napster and all the file sharing and all this kind of stuff, which is where all the production technology in terms of for independent artists to just create their own music that's really well produced and then put it out there for people to grab you know for free or for really inexpensively and get their own stuff on itunes and things like that allowed basically that almost any kind of music you want any genre is available to you now and people are talking about that that may be the next evolution of the filmmaking industry because as visual effects and things like that become more accessible for people to create on their own to create pretty decent visual effects that you might end up with more genre type films being made by more independent filmmakers who say hey you know if no one else wants to do this darker kind of film i can actually create this for less money and actually have all the elements that make it look realistic that's enjoyable for people and then you sell it to just a smaller market it didn't cost you as much to make so you don't need to make as much money so you can have a smaller market to go see this very specific type of film for a very specific audience as opposed to the current model which is where it needs to appeal to everybody it's possible with like more higher definition digital distribution and things like that where you can just download directly. And Netflix has been getting involved in that with, you know, they've been buying up a lot of more smaller productions and other movies that are more independent because they just, you know, the, the licensing fees for all the big studio films sure. is pretty expensive. So they're like, well, we're just going to pick up all this other stuff to put on our libraries. So now there's this other, all this other sort of B-movie stuff available to people to watch. So as the quality of that stuff gets better, potentially, as time goes on, might be a lot of openings for people who feel like, hey, I really want to create this darker story, that right. they can actually pull that off and get it on yeah. some place, yeah. like Netflix There's, so people can yeah. enjoy it. There's a the phenomenon of like micro-budgets and, and uh, you know, VOD and, and all mm-hmm. that stuff that I think, you know, when you look at a movie like VHS, incredibly entertaining horror film. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the budget is, but it certainly isn't, you know, like a huge budget film. Yeah, VHS and something like uh, the original Paranormal Activity before yeah. it blew up. Yeah. You know, the, uh, uh, as above, so below. These yeah. smaller budget, one, you know, too. location oriented. We're sneaking into this place to shoot this. Movie. What was the movie? The the guy and his family shot at Disneyland without them mm-hmm. knowing, and then they, yeah. you know, and and that was there was some pretty pretty adult stuff going on in there. So, mm-hmm. um, um, what kind of stuff uh, is out or coming out? Uh, in any form of media that you're recommending, uh, either, anyone. Well, I'm looking forward to the Last Hobbit. So yeah, me too. Yeah, Last Hobbit, gonna... New Jurassic Park. Yeah, New Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a great time to be alive. It is. <laughs> yeah. is there anything that, that <laughs> Just right. that's already been released that you saw recently, maybe after the fact or whatever that you that you were surprised by or, or would particularly recommend to anybody? <laughs> hmm. Yeah, hard to say. I mean, hasn't been a ton of stuff. Super recently, I've been super crazily enthusiastic about, but uh, I am I am as well excited about the new Star Wars trailer. I thought that was, that was pretty nicely. It's again, it's that stuff where you've seen digital, uh, you know, spaceships, characters in environments that look like real environments. Yeah, yeah the X wings you know? skimming over X-wings the water. Over water. I was telling Mike how, how amazing <laughs> it is. When you think back, we've never seen those ships 
in, in on in, land on land in atmosphere is always in space. So seeing the the, the we have X-wing, seen the Millennium Falcon because you know obviously it, it blasted, it off, it blasted yeah. its way out of Mos Eisley. But the Tie Fighters in the yeah. atmosphere that was yeah. amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. And do you know that that one they released the, the names for the characters? Yeah, I'd heard about that. And that one, the BB-8, the uh, the droid that's on a ball. Yes. That's a practical effect. Mm-hmm. That that's was amazing. a practical wow. effect. Yeah. That's awesome. Holy shit. That's crazy. <laughs> See, and that's some of the things that you can do now. Like, I've seen there's been a few... Like, I guess the Muppet movie is the, the great example of that, is that you can have guys in green screen suits moving the Muppets around and then digitally remove those guys. Yeah. So you can do that with, like, a droid. Like, you got, like, IG-88 or something. You could create, well, you know, like, that, like, a robot digitally... Sure. But it's going to look maybe a little bit digital. You could also create a real robot and have guys moving him around, wearing green screen, and then remove them. So then you have that realistic lighting, that realistic. Oh, yes. Well, you know, uh, um, they did that with uh, Anthony Daniels. Did that with C three PO in the in the prequel trilogy. Uh, anytime you, when you saw a naked C three PO before he had his uh, you know golden mm. suit, basically that was uh, that was Anthony Daniels in a green suit. Hmm. Operating C three PO as a puppet, and it's all just wires and framework, and you, that that was on screen. That was on screen. Yes, yeah. Was, yeah. <laughs> Do you guys cool. watch Clone Wars at all? No, I did not. I, I never got into that. Uh, the closest I got into, I watched a few episodes, and it seemed. Um, I don't know. There was something a little bit too Cartoon Network about it for me. Yeah. I like Cartoon Network. I'm more of an Adult Swim than Mike, a Cartoon it Network. Is a cartoon. Well, I understand. <laughs> I understand. No, and I like that. But there was something. Um, I don't know. There was something about it that was missing for me personally. I see. And I've been I, I've been watching that a lot lately. Okay. So okay. like every yeah, weekend, I watch cool. like four or five episodes. It is kind of childlike, but I get my Star Wars fix. Sure, and. I, I think that's what it was. It, it didn't speak to me emotionally. It didn't. It didn't. Touch, it didn't. It didn't. I wasn't able to, to engage with it on an emotional level. And I think that's. why I feel I exactly like it. you. I feel like for me, Star Wars is about the, the family relationship, and and uh, all these like weird dynamic relationships and shifts and whatever. So when I watch a cartoon, I'm sort of like, I know this is Star Wars, but I can't get into it. <laughs> but I like the animation style because it was it was cartoon, but it was also done on computers. And and it, it 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 had a really good kind of techie look to it, and I liked the look of it. But I, like I said, it, I couldn't engage with it on an emotional level. Rebels looks good though. I might watch that one. Yeah. And Just, I yeah. I played I played all the Lego Star Wars games. But then I got Lego Star Wars three, and I got about halfway through, and just kind of I didn't connect with it emotionally. Mm-hmm. And oddly enough, the Lego Star Wars. Um, uh, episodes one through three game, the first Lego Star Wars game, actually helped me connect to those films a little bit on a slightly emotional level because they're so some things are so scene for scene attached to that. So I was able to connect with that. That actually helped me connect to those films, and I'll watch them with the kids, and and it's good. But you know, obviously they're not as engaging for me as the original trilogy. I mean, I was thinking about this when we were talking about Star Wars earlier. I mean. Everybody has their first time seeing Star Wars, and they either connected to it or they didn't. And if you did connect to it, think about that first time and how you felt. Then throw on top of that that it's 1977, that no one knows what Star Wars is, that no one has ever seen this thing before, and you're seeing it as a seven-year-old kid in a movie theater on a huge non-multiplex giant one-screen-per-theater screen. And you see that for the first time, and as you said, that opening shot of 
the laser battle in the hallway of the of the of the the, the runner the the um, the blockade runner ship, and Darth Vader and the stormtroopers come in, and the smoke kind of clears a little bit, and in comes Darth Vader. And your seven-year-old brain just explodes out of the back of your head. <laughs> that's what Star Wars is for me, because I was there when it happened. And I'm not—that's not a bragging thing. That's just a to demonstrate that level of of emotional connection to it, and yeah. why that's such an important property. It's for a me. cultural phenomenon. For sure. Yeah, and it, bef- but seeing it before anybody knew what it was. You know, when I first saw Star Wars, I was a, I was scared of it. I was like five years <laughs> old. I was like, five, and I I, I saw. Like Yoda, and I was like, "Oh, this is creepy!" Like you know, it creeped me out. I didn't really. Yeah, it is a little weird. There's a little weird guy going through my cooler and just throwing stuff out. Right, right. <laughs> hey, don't play with that. I mean, yeah, you got to get out. Of this I do remember getting a little worried around those scenes. Like, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I was worried about the yeah. There was there was a couple times where I was like, Ugh. I remember seeing Star Trek Two. We're at the con. In the theater, and the I had the to ear. like walk out during the whole earwig yes. scene. I couldn't handle that, and I was like 11, 12 when that came out, and I was like, ooh, <laughs> and I came back, okay, we're good. Yeah. Because my mom never let me see any kind of gory or, or, or you know, horror movies or anything, so well, that scene was just a little too, like, oh, God, what's going to happen? Oh, I want to see this, so I had to answer, oh, I'm going to go to the bathroom now. And you know, back, you know which over. one was the first horror movie I saw? Uh, Stephen King's It when I was four years old. Oh wow, God! I can't imagine seeing that when you're four. Yeah, I, I never liked that. Was creepy enough as as somebody in my twenties. It's really long. That was creepy enough being in my twenties and seeing that, and and but being a little kid. Yeah, suffice and it to that. say, I never liked clowns. No, no, I still no, don't no, like clowns. No, no. I, I, I made that cl- that costume for somebody like awesome. over a year ago, Pennywise. and he is awesome. over six feet tall. See, and they're he doing freaked they're, out a lot. They're of doing people, the remake, awesome. and I hope they. T- they oh, get I hope, but but they're not going to. Curry, the, the way that he would do deliver lines where he's talking to somebody and he just suddenly start looking out of the corner of his eye. It's like, what is he looking at? He's like, I am Pennywise, the dancing clown. This is You're just like, yeah. <laughs> they all float down here. And you float too. <laughs> and that movie's still effective after oh, 25 years. I agree. I mean, it's long, but oh, it just works on so many levels. <laughs> Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they if what they do with this new one. If it's going to be more, it's going to be a two parter. Not made for is it made for TV or is it a movie? No, it's a movie. It's uh, Kara Fukunaga, the guy who did uh, True Detective. Well, then they might put in the original thing because in the book, if you remember that when the first time they beat it. They all have sex with the girl. <laughs> yeah, it was weird. It's like, I think that's. Okay. I think they're keeping that out of the movie. That too. probably, <laughs> but that's, it was weird. Yeah, you mentioned True Detective, and I would say that's actually probably the last thing I saw that I was really, really into was True Detective. We've got Christmas break coming up, so you know, a, a holiday break from work, so we're going to be catching up on a lot of stuff. I, we haven't seen True Detective yet, but oh. I have it. I have it on standby, waiting for yeah. a good length of time. We just finished season two of Hannibal. Mm-hmm. And if you if you like Thomas Harris stories and characters, see Hannibal. It's yeah. amazing. You you're a huge fan Out of X Files. Stan- oh yeah. Right? I went I went X-Files to fan. I went to Meltdown and I I, I, uh, I I asked uh Chris Carter a question because he was doing a Q and A. Oh yeah yeah I remember you told and, me about uh, that. And I asked him about True Detective. So he's watching mm. he's watched the show. I, yeah. I asked him, I was explicit about it. I was like I've been watching True Detective and, uh, you know, the main character, Cole, shares the same sort of obsession that Mulder had. Sure. Um, what would you think of a show, a continuation of X-Files, where 
you know, Mulder's working with civilians, you know, similar in, 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 in tone to True Detective. And he was like, well, let me tell you about this. You know, I, I watched the show. I really like it. And me and Duchovny, we have lunch all the time and we always talk about the show. Oh, yeah. They, I think they want to do yeah. something new with X-Files where maybe Mulder and Scully, I mean, they're still married or whatever and they're not working for the FBI anymore and they're just kind of doing their own thing and acting as kind of consultant, paranormal consultants or that something. Would be, that would open it up. I think that up. would be phenomenal. Yeah. What you do is you get a new, you get a new young FBI team of, you know, cycle, you know, uh, FBI profiler types and, and then you get Mulder and Scully to come in and consult on stuff all the time. I think what you do is you take it out of the bureau because... No, you can do that too, yeah. yeah, I I told him about how in True Detective, there's a part in the story where they're working outside of the bureau and and Hart has, like, access to the databases and all that stuff. And I started thinking, wouldn't it be cool, like, you know, with technology the way we have it now... You'd have to have some kind of connection... To government files, though, in order to be able to investigate this stuff properly. Yeah, Mulder could have a contact sure, or something sure, that you know. Sure. I don't know. It just crossed my mind. Yeah. I'm writing a, a spec script now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now we get to the truth. Of it. So, uh, any other recommendations? Anything musically that's come out, or anything, anything like you know, any kind of media at all? Hmm. Not that I can think of. Yeah, it's hard to say. Like I said, same thing with music. It's like there's so much stuff out there. I tend to just grab, pick and grab different individual songs from all kinds of different artists. Like I like that song, I like that song, and I just make these huge mix, yeah, yeah, I got the mix MP3 mixes of just tons of yeah, stuff yeah, that yeah. I like. But it's not, there's not, that's one of the things, another thing of change in media and culture and everything is that I think there's less of that crazy fandom over one particular musical artist that there used to sure. be in the sure. 70s and 80s where yeah. it's like oh my god this particular band right. everyone loves them and I think that's because at the time the record labels would only put out sure. a very small number of things and promote a small it's number of things so on the room. radio right. on MTV and things like that almost so you so only have the choice of these 10 bands mm-hmm. and you're like oh my god this this is the only heavy metal band out of all this music. I love them because they're the only thing that's hard. Now you have hundreds of bands sure, that are sure. all hard, and you just pick. And the internet makes that more, yeah. you know, more accessible as well. I feel like I've, I've sort of plateaued, and I have like this huge library of music that I've, you know, liked throughout the years. That I don't even need to seek out new bands. I can just go back to the well. Oh yeah, I've got so and much. Pick and you know rediscover stuff, and it's always like you know fascinating. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. struggling to find a, a new a new. Um, delivery device for music because I have two iPod 160 classics that I carry with me everywhere. They're in my bag right here, and I keep <laughs> them with me at all times. But now that they've been discontinued, if these die, when these die, I'm screwed. So I'm thinking maybe a maybe a Wi-Fi a Wi-Fi enabled um, a hard drive and putting it through my phone. Or I mean, I just don't know what I'm going to do yet. I'm going to have to I have to test some stuff, but. There's not enough people out there. Technology hasn't been geared toward big collections for quite some time now. There used to be some MP3 players that were, you know, I would love just a, a, a one terabyte MP3, you know, streamer device or player device that you with an interface that you could plug in anywhere, and I would love that. But there, it just doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. I would love to make something like that, but I don't think in this day and age of of people just picking and choosing whatever off the internet. Or you know, off the, some people who still listen to radio or Spotify or whatever, and and so there's not that the 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 audio file market is very small. It's very very small. So you have to figure it out. 
Um, that, that is the one thing I like about things like Pandora sure. and things like that is the fact that they do introduce some new artists to you because that's the thing that you used to get with radio or MTV that you would occasionally see something new and get, oh, I really like that song or sure. like that band. Whereas now it's it's up to you to go sure. drag the stuff you want. So it's kind of nice that, that, that as you're listening, they're just interjecting some stuff based on what you've already liked before right. that maybe right. you like this as well. And I found a number of new tracks by different bands that you like be, through that process. Sure, so that's, sure. Yeah, that's, yeah. Nice. That's, that's the way, that's where you find <clears throat> new stuff that you like or, or watching the, whatever music whatever music uh, channel thing you have on your cable system, you know, wherever your TV delivery system has that, uh, you can find new bands through that. I know I've done that too. I thought about doing some kind of streaming service, but I already kind of feel like I already own this music. Why would I pay to store it somewhere and stream yeah. it out from there? And then I thought about there's a there's a product, and I can't remember what it's called now, but there's a a product where you basically put your own music streaming server on on a computer at home and push it out to the internet, and then you get an app and you get that address and to your phone and and uh, and you there's apps for iTunes and, and Android and, and Windows Phone. And you can actually use that and stream your own music to you. And I'm, I've been kind of playing with that as well. The problem, the other problem with the cloud sites is they're limited in size. And and to the amount of music I have, I would have to pay just a ridiculous amount of money per month in order to stream it to myself. So, Prince has come back up on my radar recently, mostly because of um, he's been more uh, more widely visible in terms of. Um, SNL and like uh, New Girl and, and other shows he's showing up places and kind of being in front of us again and I kind of like that I think that I think a world where Prince is just relegated <laughs> to his own internet uh, following is 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 I like it better when Prince what are, what are, out you, what are you guys in into are you eclectic or are you like more like metal and industrial I like everything yeah we're both, it's we're so both hard to super, say yeah we're both super eclectic in terms of our Alyssa and I have a big huge trip hop vein that runs yeah. down oh, the middle of us yeah. Alyssa and I, every time I come to the party I'm like ah, you're playing this you're playing that and then, you know, <laughs> just and, for you yeah I'm a loco I, I, I grew up with the um the Bristol sound. Yeah. yeah. Like I was yeah. a huge fan of like Tricky, Massive Attack, yeah, yeah. Bjork. Yeah, yeah. No, Bjork's not from Bristol, but she kind of like... <laughs> well, well, she dabbles in all those she, areas. She has that. She dated Tricky, so it qualifies. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah oh, that, I didn't know that. Yeah, they were yeah, yeah. they were a hot item for, for a while, yeah. Hmm. So, um, I mean, that's a lot of the stuff I listen to is old... I mean, I listen to Massive Attack still, so I'm not listening to much current music. I do listen to some pop, I'm not going to lie. Check... I oh, like, I, I, my recommendation's coming up. I, I don't want to give it prematurely. But I was gonna... 2013 was a huge year for new music. I mean, a lot of older artists put out new albums, and there were a lot of really good new bands. I, I, I have 2013 was the first year I collected albums in the first time in a long time. What's your was... favorite 2013 album? Oh boy, I'd have to see a list. Of... There was so much. There was um... God, there was so much in 2013. Nothing's popping to the front. I really dug the uh, Skinny Puppy album. Yeah, that was good. The new and, Skinny uh, Puppy, the Daft Punk album, hand, hand over. Amazing. Yeah, Daft Punk was weird. That 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 was a standout album. The the Daft Punk where they went back into the studio and had people play analog instruments, and then they put it, then they digitized it and messed with it after that. Oh, such a good album! And had the disco producer too, the French disco producer. That was great. (laughs) That was great. So go ahead with your recommendation then. Oh yeah, okay. Uh, I want to recommend since we're talking about music, it's a group that just broke up. They were supposed to tour with Nine Inch Nails and Soundgarden, and they broke up. Uh, they're called Death Grips, and they make like experimental hip hop, hmm. uh, industrial hip. It's crazy. I mean, I'm not even gonna try to categorize it because it's just three guys, three surfer guys, 
Uh, one MC, one does drums, but he strips it down to just three dr- drums, a snare, a tom, and the kick, and he tunes the drums real low, and then a third guy is a producer, he makes all the music and whatever. It's it's like this weird, transcendental kind of music. It, it, like it's amalgamation of a lot of genres. At first it might seem like, like it's just noise, but if you listen to it enough, you kind of like start seeing how genius it is. I don't know. I think it's genius. Cool. Uh, but the other one, I've been reading, um, I went back to my comic books and I started reading The Black Mirror, mm. uh, the Batman comic. Uh, it was like a 2011's uh, New, York's, New, York, New York Times bestseller. Not just best comic book, but like best best-selling book of 2011. And it's um, after Batman's presumed dead, Dick Grayson uh, picks up the cow. So he's the new Batman uh, alongside Batman's son, uh, Damien, I think he's, he's the new Robin. Um, and then after they do that for a while, Batman comes back. Bruce Wayne's not really dead, but, you know, he doesn't really want to be Batman again. He's just, he has like this thing called Batman Incorporated, where he has Batman all over the world. <laughs> And it's this interesting story because, you know, it deals with Gotham and there's this bad guy that's killing people and no one knows who it is and it's this big reveal. It's a really good comic book. So I recommend... Those are my two recommendations. Awesome. Cool. Very cool. Um, can't, I know I keep recommending Hannibal every week, but it's so damn good. We're, we're actually finished the season, series two of Hannibal and we're going back and watching... We watched Manhunter. And uh, Danny had never seen that and was kind of laughing at the very at the Michael Mannness of it all. (laughs) And but but it's interesting, and it will be even more interesting to then go and watch Silence of the Lambs. We're watching them in order that they were released. So we're watching. We're kind of bookending with with Manhunter and uh, a Red Dragon. But we're watching Silence of the Lambs and then Hannibal. We might watch Hannibal Rising and then and then uh, Red Dragon. But it's interesting how much stuff that was in Manhunter is actually in the show. And how much they pulled out of the books and out of those stories and incorporated it and rewove it into the show. And it's so masterfully done. Mads Mikkelsen and, and Lawrence oh, Fishburne and, awesome. and just... And it's just so... We have, we have a fascination dancing. We have a fascination with the... Uh, with uh, serial killers, man. I think it, it's interesting because even, you know... Now there's a new show coming out uh, Ryan Murphy show instead of American Horror Story it's American Crime Story mm. and the first season is going to be like O.J. Simpson and he's going to be played by Cuba Gooding Jr. oh wow so we have that Hannibal and then Inherent Vice who just came out uh, very much a film about the end of an era and they focus a lot on, on the Manson family yeah you know, there's there's something to that. I remember in the '90s it was more like prevalent, where we were focusing more sure, on serial yeah. killers or whatever. You had, yeah, you had Silence of the Lambs and <clears throat> Seven and and all that. Yeah, yeah. When you were mentioning that, I was going to mention American Horror Story because I was going to mention the Dandy character. Oh, he's my favorite time. character. You know the thing that when you my mentioned uh, Silence of the Lambs and Hannibal and all that kind of stuff, <clears throat> I was talking to a friend of mine about that because she's super into the Hannibal show, and I haven't watched it yet, but I've been, had lots of high recommendations to check it out. But the thing I was saying about the Dandy character is that I haven't been that into him because of the fact that he seems so immature, like such like a little baby, like didn't have the sophistication. Like Hannibal's psychiatrist, he's smart, he's you know powerful, he's sure. you know, manipulative, sure. he's got all these skills, and he's got a complex mind. So I find that kind of character way more interesting than someone who's acting like a, a big baby. You know? I mean, yeah. He's an interesting of, he's character. He's kind of but... just waltzing through the, the act of being a serial killer. He's yeah. just kind of dancing and through it. And if not... you saw the last episode, he sort of 
you know why he's like that because he has money. Yeah. Well, yeah, and that was like, the thing that he, that was the first episode where he got a little bit more sort of power or strength in himself, where he's and, like asserting himself a little more. Like, okay, I like you a little bit better now. And, that, you're and now. that dimension to the character is truly frightening. Like, hey, I'm not going to make any apologies. I'm a big baby, but you know what? I have money. Kill her. Shoot mm-hmm. her right now. That's crazy. That's like wow. Yeah, yeah. that's insane. You know, I, I really like that character. And I want to say something like kind of like off kilter, but I've been watching that uh, the new season. And I've been watching the Dandy character, and there's a lot of talks of, like, Suicide Squad and, like, Batman movies. And I'm like, I think this kid would be a good Joker. Yeah, maybe. Like, the actor? Mm-hmm. I, I, I see him in some scenes where he, you know, there's a scene where, uh, when he, when he uh, spoilers, when he kills his mom, and uh, he puts his gun to his head, and she's like, I can't live without you. And he's like, okay. And he kills her? That's so Joker. That's Joker right there. So I keep telling my girlfriend, that's the Joker. I'm driving her crazy. <laughs> I'm like, that's the Joker. <laughs> Screw Jared Leto. Well, I have to say, I, I think one of the one of my favorite costume cosplays of yours ever, Brian, was was your Twisty the Clown. It was yeah, outstanding. I was and you put that, together yeah. that together in such a short time, and just really came together <laughs> phenomenally well. And I, we we need to. I'm going to borrow if if, you, if you'll let me, I'll grab one of your Facebook pictures of that and put it up. I'm going to put up a few yeah. of your. And actually, I was going to mention, first of all, Alyssa put together that costume. Like, I did the weathering on it, and I did the little the mask, the smiley mask. But she did all the work on the costume, which is, like, a ton of work, and it turned out amazing. Yeah. But I was going to say that that was... so good. <laughs> Bravo. That's awesome. that I'm good at making clown costumes, because I did it last year. I don't even know what it is. <laughs> and I was going to say that, 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 like, I typically don't do cosplay. I don't re- replicate characters, but that I really like Twisty the Clown, and it was like, I liked him so much, and he's so creepy. I'm like... Halloween's coming up in like a month. I'm like, <laughs> it shouldn't be it. too hard. Like, let's let's do it because it's just, it'll be funny. It's one of those things like when the universe it. just comes up and taps you on the shoulder and says, oh, "You need to be doing this." <laughs> well, the weird thing is, it just it gave me the for the first time kind of the realization of probably what's happening with a lot of other people who actually do lots of cosplay at Comic Con and things like that, which is that they are madly into a certain character. They're like, "Oh my god, I love this character, and I want to be that character. I want to sure. play that character. I want to look like them and sure. imagine I'm them." And I was like, "Oh, that's what that's all about." Because yeah. like I just hadn't been in that mindset. You, you before, were, I you mean, know? we were at the same club that night on <clears throat> Halloween night, and, and you got so much, Dude. so much attention. Everybody was just, "Oh my god, that's amazing!" And it was really, yeah, he was. was just standing in the middle of the dance floor, yeah, just standing out and there looking creepy and looking at people, at... and everybody was just like, "Oh yeah, they turn oh, around and freak out." Yeah, yeah, awesome. yeah, that was one of the most <laughs> enjoyable kind of amateur night Halloween out of the club. You know, times I've ever had because of the, that. You know, that was really good. That was a fun. That, that was an Alyssa suggestion of going and stand. Yeah. Usually, I like to dance, but you know, she's like, you know, no, the, just stand the, there, just stare stand people. The like, I can do that. That actor, uh, John Carroll Lynch, uh, he's so good at playing creepy man. When he was in Zodiac, mm-hmm. yeah. I always yeah. thought you're the Zodiac killer. Man. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah there's yeah. no way you're not a killer. <laughs> but you know that the, that character. I really connected to him, man. I felt bad for him. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah it was a definitely really a pathetic character. Yeah. It's not. He wasn't. Yeah, he's not killing people out of a sense of malice. He's killing people out of a sense of just not knowing really what else to do. He's a simple-minded person. Although yeah. that backstory kind of, I kind of liked him as a little bit more. Like he showed elements of like real strong, like abusive, angry, psycho clown stuff in a lot of the earlier episodes. And so then when they kind of revealed his backstory which was a good I mean it was a nice backstory it had like depth to it and it was kind of sad and all this kind of stuff but I'm like it didn't quite jive with what I had seen from him previously on the show where he's psycho clown so it's I almost wish there was a more 
twisted, perverse they backstory that they led to, to where spend, he was they at. Yeah. To spend a little more time. So you were expecting more like a Wayne Gacy backstory? Where yeah. He was they, probably abused there needed as a to kid be, or There something? needed to be a little bit more backstory from before he was <clears> in the circus. There needed to be more yeah. up, up his upbringing as a kid and stuff up to before he was in the circus, maybe. That's where it's implied. And I think, you know, when you look at Dandy and how he latched on to Twisty, and Dandy has very much like an abusive kind of mom, like a overbearing, whatever... You know, you, you, you think back, if, you, if you're a fan of serial killers, you, you realize that one thing that all their profiles has, have in common is they have abusive childhoods, and uh, almost always it's um, an abusive mother, or an absent mother. Or, or a mother who is herself abused. Exactly, and just, yeah. you know, transfers that over. <clears throat> so I, the I, violence against women transfers. Sure, into sure. The, I, the I was, yeah, I was assume that, that. Yeah. yes, yes. I always assume that Twisty probably had, like, an abusive mom or something, or... Yeah, issues like that. But he seemed like in, in their backstory, they portrayed him as like a actually this kind of nice, friendly, happy clown that just actually really, honestly, did like you know entertaining the children and stuff. And then the the freaks, you know, you know, screwed him over essentially, and, and then he tried killing himself. It didn't seem like the kind of person who would end up as this abusive, horrible killer clown necessarily. You know, even even after going through what he went through. That's my favorite episode actually, when they show his backstory, and mm-hmm. then the guy with the face in the back. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're the one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was really cool. More drink. Well, we're at, a, we're at an hour and a half, and um, uh, go ahead and plug your, your online presences. So, yeah, you can check me out at cleverlittlecat.com. I'm on Facebook as well under my name. Alyssa Rosales, cool. Yeah. yeah, so I'm at the thedeathnight.com since someone else grabbed deathnight.com. So, thedeathnight.com. Uh, and uh, I have a new site, website that I may or may not have up, which is TDK Desi- Designs. Okay. Which is where I just want to put just, just specifically stuff that I would do for hire or costuming stuff specifically. Cool. cool. Any pictures of that car up there? Uh, not yet. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Is that for the next wasteland that you're getting? That uh, that's where I originally started building. I built a hot rod recently and, and then again dabbling in something new to create. And uh, it originally was for a wasteland weekend, but then it ended up being so low and so crazy that I don't know that it would work super great out in that yeah, desert yeah, environment. Yeah, yeah. But it's still cool, you know, and I wanted something that I could drive on the street as well as cool. at events and things cool. like that. Yeah, so. from what I've seen, it looks great. So, Well, thank you. Well, we're Something2XP on all the various media that's out there. Uh, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook. Uh, subscribe on iTunes, please. Uh, send us an email, Something2XP at gmail.com. And always remember, please be kind. The Something Something Experience podcast was conceived and produced by Ash Jones and Michael John Simpson. Intro music, Ways to Change Faces, and outro music, Scorpio 37, was written, produced, and provided by the talented Sebastian Ciceri. You can find us online as Something2XP on iTunes, WordPress, and YouTube. Please follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. You can also reach us at Something2XP at gmail.com. We invite your feedback. Please be kind. 